We had a very tough time raising capital in the early days because a lot of the investors on Sand Hill and Silicon Valley basically thought that this was not a big enough market. It's like cap table management. Why is that interesting? And you're essentially replacing spreadsheets. Like how big is that going to become? You are listening to the Sure Shot Entrepreneur. A podcast for founders with ambitious ideas, venture capital investors, and other early believers tell you relatable, insightful, and authentic stories to help you realize your vision. Welcome to the Sure Shot Entrepreneur. My guest today is Manu Kumar. Manu is the founder and partner at Canine Ventures. It's a Silicon Valley-based venture capital firm. He invests very early in pre-seed and seed stages at startups. In addition to being an investor, he also wears the hat of a founder. He has started a few companies like Carta and Hi Hello. We'll talk to him about his investments, what he looks for in founders, and also about his startups that he co-founds with other founders. Manu, welcome to the SureShot Entrepreneur. Thank you, Gopi. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us about yourself, starting with where you grew up. You grew up in Delhi and you moved to the U.S. and you now live in Silicon Valley, right? That's right. So I grew up in New Delhi, went to high school in New Delhi. And while I was in high school, kind of decided that I wanted to come to the U.S. for college and came to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to attend Carnegie Mellon when I was 17. So you came to the U.S. I see that you're super overeducated. You didn't only go to Carnegie Mellon for bachelor's degree, you got a master's degree there. And then you came to Stanford, you got a master's degree there, and also a PhD. So Dr. Manu Kumar, and you decided to build a profession in the venture capital industry. Why venture capital? I started my first company when I was 20. And honestly, I've never worked for anybody else. Like I've never had a boss effectively. So I started my first company when I was 20, built that up, sold that company when I was 25, went directly into starting another company, built that company up. Startups is what I know, and it's kind of in my DNA. And I truly, truly enjoy working with companies from that stage of the inception of the idea all the way to turning it into a viable business. In 2007, I was helping a founder raise capital. I got the chance to go up and down Sand Hill Road and look at what was happening there. And I felt that there was a gap in the ecosystem. Most of the VC firms were writing a three to four million dollar check, but there were very few people, almost nobody who was doing like the sub million dollar check back in 2007, 2008. So I saw that gap in the ecosystem and I'm like, gosh, I see the gap. I see the opportunity and I love working with companies in these formidable stages. That's what got me to think about starting K9. How is K9 Ventures different from other VC firms? You mentioned the stage at which you invest, which is much earlier than most other VCs. Traditionally, the art of venture capital is in investing in founders and ideas in very, very early stages, which is what you do. But now there are quite a few other VC firms that also invest in pre-seed and seed stage. How is K9 Ventures different from other VC firms? So first, when we started, it wasn't that common to have a solo GP. I had a few folks who have immense amount of respect for leading the way and even showing me that it was possible. So starting with Josh Koppelman, Jeff Clavier, Michael Deering, Steve Anderson. I mean, these are the people who I looked at back in 2008, 2009 timeframe. I'm like, gosh, they're doing something amazing and I want to learn from them. 
And Canine is different because first, it's a solo GP fund. There's me and then there's Stella, my dog, on the couch behind me. That wasn't common back in the day. It is becoming more and more prevalent now. And I know you're a solo GP as well. I love that model. The other difference for canine is the stage at which canine invests. And again, I describe it as frighteningly early because I have to be frightened in order to make the investment. It's usually a stage at which it's like two people and an idea. And there's very little proven out, both about the founders, the market, the company. There's very little to actually look at in order to decide like, oh, is this a viable investment? So it comes down to making a gut call on like, do I believe the vision that these founders are painting? And do I believe that they are the ones to actually do it? And then the last difference I'll say for canine is just velocity of investments or the volume of investments. I invest in maybe two to four is kind of the range. But right now it's probably closer to two to three companies a year is what I'm investing in. So very low volume, high conviction type investing. So it's a combination of solo GP and high concentration and at the stage at which you invest, which is scary early. Typically for a founder, there are pros and cons to working with a partnership versus a solo GP. At a partnership, there are multiple people to convince. And even when they get advice, depends on how they navigate the politics of the firm. Founders don't have to deal with all that when they work with you. And I really enjoy playing that role with founders as a solo GP as well. When I was talking to somebody about the solo GP thing and they said, gosh, your partner meetings must be really short. And I said, or they never end. So it's always going on in my head. So yes, I'm sure you feel the same way. Yes. <laughs> Typically, VC firms have Monday morning partner meetings, but my partner meeting can happen anytime and it goes on. <laughs> it's just me, myself and I. Let's talk about how you find founders or how founders find you. I tend to be very bandwidth constrained. The tightest resource for me is time. And because of that, I actually use my network as a filter to actually figure out like who are the people that I should engage with. I was actually just with one of my LPs yesterday and I was describing to them that I take the approach of if I decide to engage with a company, I want it to be a meaningful engagement. I want to have a deep conversation. I want to understand what they're doing. I want them to understand what I do and how K9 works in order to see if there's a match. And so it shouldn't be a cursory, superficial engagement. If I'm going to engage with a founder, then we actually go deep in that situation. So it's really a case of quality over quantity. That does mean that I may not be able to look at every single amazing founder that's out there, but that's just a constraint that I have based on time, and that's just how I have to operate. So in most cases, founders are getting referred in. Some of the best referrals are actually coming from other founders in the portfolio. That's a very high trust level of introduction when it comes in from an existing founder, because even the existing founder is putting some of their reputation on the line when they're making the introduction. And that's the thing about any referral or introduction. The person who is making the introduction is putting some of their social capital on the line when they're making that introduction. They have to think highly about the company and the founding team before they're ready to make that introduction. Executives at existing portfolio companies is another great source of actually getting intros. I have deep connections with Stanford and Carnegie Mellon, so sometimes we'll also get referrals coming in from the academic side of things. But yeah, it's usually all coming in through referral. So the best way to reach you is through one of the founders that you've already invested in. Or if the founder was an executive at one of the companies where you've invested, you'd typically roll up your sleeves and work with the team. 
you've already had a working relationship with them and that's a good starting point but manu don't you miss out on great opportunities outside of your network there are so many amazing founders elsewhere and you don't get a chance to even meet them you're absolutely right and i think about it but there's only so much i can do about it because there's 24 hours in the day if i can find a way of having more than 24 hours in the day then i would love to go broader but given the time is something that you cannot mess with <laughs> i end up using this as a way of filtering things through that does mean that i miss out on some amazing founders and amazing opportunities and that has happened many many times i just take the view of if i decide to work with a founding team and that founding team gives me the honor of working with them then i want to make sure that they're successful but i don't expect that i will be able to go and find all the companies that become successful out there that's not possible so high conviction matters the relationship with the founders matter but as a result there are some limitations to your bandwidth you can't engage with everybody but that's just the nature of the business Can we take some examples from your past investments? You've invested in some really successful companies like Twilio and Lyft and in the past companies like Lucidchart. How did the first conversation, first meeting with the founder happen? Sure, I'll give some specific examples. In Twilio's case, I happened to end up sitting next to one of the co-founders of Twilio at a dinner event and I just asked him, "Hey, what do you do and what does your company do?" And he told me about how they're putting telephony in the cloud. that totally got my attention because in my prior companies we literally had to go and find a half a million dollars to buy this box that we can then go put in a data center in order to do audio conference i'm sitting over there talking to him and i'm like oh so you're telling me i don't need to do that anymore and he's like nope we're moving it all into the cloud and it'll scale up and down elastically depending on when you have demand and that's how it's going to work and i was like that is brilliant I had familiarity with that domain and when I heard that I'm like okay this just makes sense to me. A dinner table conversation turned into more of a professional relationship and you were somewhat familiar with the topic and you totally geeked out on it and got into the weeds of how to build this infrastructure. That's great very interesting. Shall we also talk about Lyft because that's a very different kind of company. There is definitely tech involved but there's also business model innovation, there's shared economy, there was a whole new thing that was happening at the time when Lyft was started. How did that happen? Yeah, so in Lyft's case when I met Logan and John at that time it wasn't called Lyft, it was called Zimride. and it was called Zimride because Logan had gone on a trip to Zimbabwe and in Zimbabwe they had these vans that are operated by private individuals that would pick you up and take you where you wanted to go that was the origin of Zimride and the shared economy was a buzzword at the time around 2010 2011 I had actually seen Airbnb present at an event and I think shortly after that I started talking to the Zimride team and I just kind of looked at it and I'm like gosh letting somebody into my house is a higher threshold for me letting somebody into my car and picking them up and dropping them off somewhere I'm more comfortable with that and so I'm like okay this makes sense and I will kind of see where this goes I really loved working with Logan and John In fact, I wanted to invest in the company back in 2009 and we didn't come to an agreement on terms back in 2009 and I actually told them like hey, I love working with you guys, happy to stay in touch. 
We stayed in touch for over a year. And then finally, when they were pulling a seed round together with Anne at Floodgate leading that seed round, they invited me to participate in that round as well. And so honored and delighted to have had the chance to work with both Logan and John and with Anne as well. This is a very interesting topic for me. The vans in Zimbabwe, similar to that, there are gypsy taxis in Russia. So when I was traveling in Russia, I used that quite often. I felt like, yeah, there is a possibility here that these were niche markets. But later when I met the founder of Blah Blah Car, he was my classmate in business school, I saw how much he struggled. He worked really hard for seven years and nobody really believed in the business model. Similar to Zimride becoming Lyft, he also changed the name a couple of times before it became Blah Blah Car. Eventually, when I saw Lyft and Uber, when they were probably valued at a few hundred million dollars, I felt like this is it. This is the peak. This company is not going to go any further. It's really hard to build a business. The market's not really there. And they've created something out of nothing. And I don't know how much further they can go. But I was really, really wrong. These companies turned into values at like tens of billions of dollars. That might happen to you as well. Like when you meet a founder, they tell the story and you don't believe in the vision. What happens after that? Do you tell them, no, it doesn't work for me? Or do you give them feedback and ask them to go work on it and come back to you? That's a very fine line. In order to start a company, entrepreneurs need to have strong conviction that they're going to take the leap and go off and start this company. They're going to leave their job. They're going to quit whatever else they're working on. And they're essentially going to go off and start a company, right? They need to have high conviction in order to be able to do that. I'm under no pretenses that I know what is going to work and what is not going to work. And I kind of describe it like when I feel so strongly that I know something is going to work and it should exist, I will go start a company. And that's what I've done. Like how Carda started and that's how Hi Hello started and that's how Cardmunch started. But when I'm talking to founders about their idea and something that they have conviction on, all I can do is I can share my opinion. I will always preface that by saying, hey, it's a strong opinion, but it's weakly held, meaning that I am totally open to learning and with additional data points and stuff, I'm open to changing my mind. So when I don't have conviction on an idea that a founder is pitching, I just take the approach of, hey, I wasn't convinced, but I may very well be wrong. And I would love it if you're able to prove me wrong, because I will learn from that. And I'm also happy to stay in touch with the founding teams as their ideas evolve into something different. There's multiple companies in my portfolio that fit this pattern where the founder came in and pitched me on one idea first. And I'm like, nah, I'm not convinced about this, but happy to stay in touch in case your thinking evolves. Let me know because I like you and I would love to work with you. And then they will come back a few months later with, hey, remember that thing that we were doing? We're not doing that anymore. We're doing this now. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. This I can get behind. And then I end up investing in that company. This is a difficult conversation with founders, and I struggle with it all the time. And I'm also cautious because I'm wrong so often. I don't want to point them in the wrong direction and lead them to things not very productive for them. I'm learning as well. Let's talk about starting companies. You started out as an entrepreneur at the age of 20, so you have that DNA, but you have decided to become an investor and invest in other companies. Yet you still maintain that spirit of entrepreneurship and you want to start companies. Why is that? First, in order for me to start a company, the first thing that needs to happen is that I need to get mad about something. It needs to be something that has bothered me long enough and I don't see anybody else coming up with a brilliant solution for it. Because if I did see somebody else coming up with a brilliant solution for this problem that has been nagging me for a long time, I would go invest in it. I have the opportunity to do both. 
if there's a, somebody who's amazing and is solving the problem, I will happily become an investor and we'd be along for the ride. And then there's other cases where the problem just keeps nagging at me and I don't find a good team. Nobody's even trying to solve the problem. In those situations, I feel like, damn it, somebody's got to do it. And so I got to step up and do something about it. That's kind of where the motivation for it comes from. I'll use Carta as the example. I did my first investment from K9 in 2009. And when I did that investment, once the investment was completed, I ended up receiving a closing binder that was that thick and a single piece of paper, the stock certificate with it. Now, the closing binder, great. I'm like, I can keep the PDF and shred the binder. I don't need that paper by any means. What do I do with this paper stock certificate? There was no electronic version of that paper stock certificate. I called up several VCs and I asked them, hey, what do you do when you get these stock certificates? And their answer was, well, our CFO takes care of it. And I say, okay, let me talk to the CFO. And the CFO is like, well, I walk it down to the bank and I stick it in a safe deposit box and it sits there for potentially 10 years. I'm like, this is crazy. I can go and buy stock in Apple and Google and never touch a piece of paper. And I'm buying stock in a two-person private company, and I end up with a binder full of documents and a piece of paper that I have no choice but to keep somewhere safe, and I don't know whether it's going to be valuable or not in 10 years. That's what became the kernel of what Carta is today. It started out as eShares. So I started looking for somebody to start that company in 2009. It took me three years to eventually meet Henry. Henry was doing a different company when I met him, and that company didn't work out. I took him to lunch and I pitched him on, hey, this is an idea that I want to work on. Do you want to do this? His initial response was, no, not interesting enough. Three months later, I invited him to lunch again and pitched him on the idea again. I'm like, hey, I know we talked about it three months ago, but let's talk about it again. This time he's like, okay, let's go try it. That's how eShares started and that eventually became Carta. I was a big fan of eShares, which has now become Carta and I use Carta all the time. There are many good things about the company. And one of the things that I really liked was that the people who convinced lawyers and other professionals to use the product were investors like you and me. I remember convincing my lawyers and the legal team to like, stop doing what you're doing. Use this product. It saves a lot of trouble for you and for me and everybody else. Simplifies things. And it was hard. There was no business development person from eShares convincing the lawyers. It was the internal teams. They got mad at what the status quo looked like, just like how you did. And they became not just customers, but fans of the product. It was also interesting that in Carter's case, we had a very tough time raising capital in the early days because a lot of the investors in Silicon Valley basically thought that this was not a big enough market. It's like cap table management. Why is that interesting? You're essentially replacing spreadsheets. How big is that going to become? This is something that I think a lot about when I'm investing. I look for companies that are either doing new technology or new markets. I put Carta and Lyft both in the category of new market companies, where they're actually creating a brand new market. The one thing you know about a new market is that you have no idea how big it's going to be at the outset. I think there was a time where one of the phrases we wanted to use was NASDAQ for private markets. And I'm like, oh, we're going to get laughed out of the room when we say that. Today, I feel like that's not big enough. And there's an opportunity there to actually create a whole new market. I'm actually doing something similar on the high-hello side as well. I'm creating a new market. 
It's hard enough to start a company and make it successful. You created a whole new category. I want to talk about Hi Hello, but I'm very curious. I failed at it so many times, which is why I'm asking this question. Founders, when they start a company and it's their baby, they stick with it through the ups and downs to make it successful. Even that is hard. But when you pitch to a founder and say, join me, I have an idea and make it your baby. It's much harder. I've never had a successful conversation with a founder who I tried to recruit and say, hey, here's an idea that I really think this needs to be solved and you should take this and build this. And I've done the basic homework for it. It's never worked. What kind of founders do you look for when you want to start a company with a problem that you're mad about? First, you're absolutely right. It is very, very rare for it to work. And it's difficult because I'll give the reference with, you've probably seen the movie Inception. And in Inception, they talk about like, you put an idea in somebody's head and then it grows and it becomes their idea. When I think about this process of when I'm starting a company with somebody else, that is how I think about the process. That idea is essentially something that you put into somebody's head by talking about it. So it is being transmitted through my words and through my mouth into somebody's head, but it has to take root and it has to grow and it has to become their idea in order for it to become successful. And that doesn't happen often. I gave the example of Carta where I came up with the idea for that in 2009. We actually co-founded Carta in 2012. It took me three years of pitching that idea to different teams and different founders before it actually took root. It's not an easy process by any means. But you've done it a few times, and now you started Hi Hello. How did Hi Hello come about? So I've always had kind of what I describe as a love-hate relationship with business cards. On one hand, I love them. I literally used to collect business cards because it would be fascinating to me to actually see like, who's this person? What company do they work for? And the logos and the branding. I still remember going into my dad's office when I was a kid and playing with his business cards on his table. And I also remember the Palm 7 when it first came out back in the late 90s, where you could beam a contact from one person to another. And I was like, this is the coolest thing. And I want everybody to have a Palm 7 just so that I can do this. Of course, that never happened. We come across to smartphones and still like we're still handing out little pieces of paper, little dead trees is how we give people like this is who I am and this is how you contact me. So in 2009, I co-founded Card Munch. It's a very similar process as CardUp. I was actually talking to multiple teams and found a team to work with and co-found Card Munch. The idea was very simple and more narrow, which was you take a picture of a business card and it comes back to you as a digital contact. Four months after we launched the product, we got approached by LinkedIn and LinkedIn effectively said, hey, we can either buy you or we can bury you. It was a buy or bury decision. So we said, okay, we will team up with LinkedIn and we sold the company to LinkedIn. But LinkedIn could not execute. They kind of ruined the product. They eventually killed the product. And there were a lot of people who loved Card Munch back in the day, but LinkedIn just didn't do it right and it ended up dying. Meanwhile, I'm just sitting here thinking like, gosh, I had a big idea behind what I want to build. And that idea just never came to fruition. It never saw the light of day. Once LinkedIn got acquired by Microsoft, that became my catalyst moment because I'm like, great, LinkedIn never solved this problem for me. And now it's part of a bigger company, so it's even harder for them to solve this problem. That's what gave me the conviction that, oh, there's an opportunity to actually create a new company in this space. And that led me into starting Hi Hello. What does Hi Hello do? 
So HiHello does digital business cards. That's our entry point. That's the core of what we do. You can now exchange contact information with somebody just directly and simply on the phone without needing any other physical device or having a paper business card for it. So very, very simple idea at its core. But what we've discovered is that software is eating the world and software is eating business cards as well. And now companies are basically coming to us and saying, hey, we need a SaaS platform that is actually helping us manage this for our entire company. So we started out on the individual side, but we now service both individuals and large companies for digital business cards. Very interesting. What a journey. Something that nagged you for many years. You attempted to start a business, Card Munch, sold to LinkedIn, and you were annoyed that it didn't really bloom into the solution that you anticipated. So you came back and you started another company to solve the problem. Now it's been a few years and it's off the ground and you're running it. Congratulations. Thank you. And I'm convinced that there is a massive, massive opportunity here to build a big business. It's been a lot of fun for me to be on both sides of the table and be an investor and also be a founder and CEO at the same time, because I get to learn on both sides. And with the learning I get on each side, I'm able to apply to the other side as well. So it's been a fascinating journey for me. We're coming towards the end of our conversation, and I want to ask you about your community involvement. Is there a nonprofit organization you are passionate about? Which one? I am very much a dog person and any organization that is supporting dogs has probably got a soft spot for me. I actually keep that fairly anonymous, so I don't like to talk about it and just kind of, I do what I do. I don't want to kind of publicize it, basically. So Okay, we'll keep it under the wraps. Anu, thank you so much for spending time with me. This is incredible. You've given very specific examples of your investments, your journey as an investor, and how you start companies. I look forward to sharing your nuggets of wisdom with the world. Thank you, Gopi. This was a lot of fun to chat. Thank you for listening to the Sure Shot Entrepreneur. I hope you enjoyed listening to real life stories about early believers supporting ambitious entrepreneurs. Please subscribe to the podcast and post a review. Your comments will help other entrepreneurs find this podcast. I look forward to catching you at the next episode.